Oh my goodness. I, I hate to be the one to say this, but now I know what David Newman felt as he coasted into his final VOE episodes. It's May, and I've had so much fun, learned so much, and been enriched beyond belief in my NSA service. Now, okay, we still have a few months ahead, and Lord knows many of us have been trying to navigate where to find and how to listen to VOE. But one thing I promise, next year will be even better. I know I won't be your host, but you can trust me. What's in store for VOE for 2019-2020 is awesome. Now, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, as this month has amazing guests that reveal so much that we can learn from. So, here's VOE for May. In VOE, you never know what you might learn. Like my next guest broke his future wife's toe on their first encounter. And now you wonder, who was that? Well, just listen and learn from this very fun interview. And now the toe breaker heard here on VOE. Hi, this is Chuck Gallagher with Voices of Experience. My guest is Jeffrey Hazlett, and you're a rock star. Hey, thanks, brother. NSA. Thanks. I start off as a pebble. I'm oh, a pebble. Really? That was my nickname in high school. I always wanted to like be like Rocky, and one of the older classmen, older classmen, whatever you call the guys, the upper class, oh, upperclassmen, said, you're not a rock, you're just a pebble. So that's nice of you to say. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that is too funny. I yeah. never expected to start that way. <laughs> Jeffrey, how long have you been in NSA? I've been a member since 1986. 1986. Yeah, I joined when I was 26 years old. I might even have been a few years before that. I can't remember. You know, as you get older, we forget a lot of things. But, you know, I've been a member for as long as I've ever wanted to really truly be a speaker. And I really started speaking about that same time. So it was about when I was, what, 26 years old? Okay, so I have to ask this question. Yeah. At 26, what motivated you to be a speaker? Because I don't find many people sitting in the chair telling me that's how they started at that age. Yeah, well, and I actually started a little bit younger than that doing it, but I finally found NSA. I didn't know about NSA, and then I, for, of course, found it. Once I found it, it was like a dream come true. But, you know, when I was growing up, I used to listen to speakers all the time, whether preachers or whether they were just some of the greatest orators of our time, which to me are, you know, Hall of Famers of today. Um, and then back then, you know, between Zig Ziglar and and uh, Brooks and, uh, well, of course, Brian Tracy and, and Skip Ross and, you know, Norman Vincent Peale and, uh, and I could go into Napoleon Hill. I mean, I could go on over, you know, over and over and over. And I grew up listening to those people and listening to, at that time, records. Uh -huh. and, and I would listen to those records. And, some, and Jerry Clower. Oh, yeah. With the Mouth of the South, who's one of the greatest orders of all time, as far as I'm concerned, who could tell a story. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You remember that? You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. And so I grew up with that listening and that oratory kind of thing. And I just, that always was just wonderful for me. And when I would go to church, I would listen to some of these great, great, great preachers, you know. And to me, that, that to being able to convince people, motivate people, to inspire people through, the, through your voice and through the, the ability to tell stories just always stuck with me. And, and I, in our family too, we all were very much orders. My grandmother and, you know, and other relatives would tell these wonderful stories. And I would always be entranced by that, just, just to listen to that, that oratory history that you have. And I just think it's a great thing. And I just learned that and just continue to say, wow, if man, could I just, just, just this little bit, just this little bit, could I do that? And uh, that's, that's how I kind of got started. What's changed today 
that you've seen over this number of years that continues to propel your speaking business? Well, I think the, the core pieces of the platform skills are real critical, but they're, they're actually going away as part of that as well. You know, what rooted us in the business and what I would call, and I was having a conversation with Brian Tracy one day on, on one of my shows. I said the, the, you know, the old school, what I would call the legends, the, guy, the guys that really do tell the stories, that's becoming more of a thing of the past. And so the, the shift has been around subject matter experts and personality-based um, um, content of some kind. And so you started to see a shift for that. The other thing I think you're seeing a massive shift to is the delivery that we're doing. You know, we never would have done this on video years ago. Of course, you remember, it was started out with cassette tapes, right? Absolutely. And then it went to, oh, DVDs, and now, you know, now we're doing video and everything else. And I, so I think the, the delivery mechanism for how it's done has changed a lot, and the presentation skills and the wow factors and the things that we have. And so you can have somebody who's not as good be really good because they can use those other things, and yet you can still have someone in the business who's really good at capturing the stage, the moment, and just being there. That is also magical. So I, I think that's the shift that we've seen, and it's uh, you, you're seeing you're seeing a, I think a divergence of those things that are starting to separate the you know the herd or or our industry. Quite frankly, um, I'm fascinated by uh, I'm, I'm fascinated a bit by your career, but of the choice that you made to create this C-suite concept. Yeah, tell tell me what. What brought that about? Well, power of communities. I mean, we all know the power of NSA. We all know the power of being part of an organization. You know, I've, I've been in five different Hall of Fames over five different industries, you know, which is tremendous to just be in one Hall of Fame, but to be in five. And I've learned that by building the communities and being part of communities, the power in those networks are, are huge. When I was in a Fortune 100 company, I was a chief marketing officer of a you know, multi-multi-billion dollar company, and in that company I used to participate in organizations of C-suite executives. And I would pay upwards of fifty dollars to $100,000 to be a part of that to meet a couple times a year. And as I got in those organizations, they paid off, meaning I would sit across from somebody who was bigger than me or more powerful or had different experiences or, and sometimes less, but, but always learning something new. And I said, wow, when I left Kodak at the time as chief marketing officer, I said I wanted to go and find and repeat that model, but with more zeros. And so it's kind of like being in a country club. It's kind of like being in a lead organization that they really know and want to serve me. And I know that everybody in there has paid their dues, so I can have a different kind of conversation than I can with somebody else. And a good example of that in NSA, quite frankly, is the Million Dollar Speakers Group. Absolutely. And the new timers. I love new timers but they don't have the same experience level that many of the million dollar speakers group. So I can have a, uh, and it's not knocking anyone, it's just saying that particular group has a, a domain knowledge that the other group doesn't, that's very helpful to me. So spending my time, why I like to motivate, inspire, and what can I help you with, and give back to the other members, I'm really drawn by these others. So C-Suite was a very good example of that. You know, as C-suite executives, when you know, I'm, I was controlling a budget of seventeen billion dollars. Now, everyone wanted to be my friend. You can imagine what that was like, right? Right, of course. S sell me things. Uh, you know, who do I trust? Is that a good program? Is, is sponsoring a NASCAR a good thing? Is spending twenty-seven million dollars to sponsor a car good? Should I 
when Roger Penske calls me from IndyCar and wants me to sponsor his IndyCar, is that a good expenditure? Is spending $100 million on the Olympics a good thing to do? You know, I'd like to have a network of people I can trust that I can pick up the phone and say, should I? Should I not? What was your experience? How do I get, oh, by the way, how do I get out of this thing? You know, I'm having this, I'm having that. And so, the, so our C-suite network was a way of doing that. And it was really the, the name, the way we got to it was through my television show. I was doing a television show on Bloomberg Network. I had the number one primetime uh, business show. Now, at the same time, that's great to have that, but how many people are rushing home to watch you know, a primetime <laughs> business show? Not too many. So we actually found that more people were watching us online than we're watching us through a, a national broadcast network, actually a world broadcast network. And so that was the impetus of, of saying, hey, we could take this and do this online. We could take this and do this at a local level. And we could take this and build an organization around it. And, and that's what became C-Suite TV, became C-Suite Radio, C-Suite Book Club, you know, the Hero Club, and now, of course, the C-Suite Network. That's a, that's a broad thought. Yeah, sure, but you know, my last book was Think Big, Act Bigger. You know, the rewards of being relentless. You know, right. I live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and New York. And people say, "Why do you live in Sioux Falls?" Because I can. You know, that that's you know. So think big. Why not? You know, what are you going to do? Fail? Oh, big deal. I'll fail. You're always going to fail. Let's be clear. No matter what you do, a speech line you deliver, uh, a business that you try, the first time you ask a woman out on a date, you know, you're always going to fail. Okay. So, uh, but the key isn't to fail fast; it's to win fast. So. Uh, if you get a broad thought, I know that that's a good idea. Now, it might not work the first two or three years because that's truly the, the case when you're doing these kinds of big, big, huge platform and bets and that you're playing on it. But, you know, we built a multi-million dollar business with, you know, high valuations with a lot of great value in it. Uh, but, you know, you, 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 if you don't think big, you don't get big. See, I like, I love that. I really love that. By the way, you failed on your first date or request? Oh, yeah. With my wife? Are you kidding me? I've been married for 37 years. But, you know, the first time I met her was I broke her toe in a panty raid. So, you know, not, it didn't start, it didn't start, it was uphill from there, dude. You know, and then, you know, I met her great-grandmother first time. You know, I'm in, I'm in love with her. And, I'm, you know, my wife's 5'1", 105 pounds. I'm 6'3", 280-some pounds. And Grandma Agnes is even smaller than Tammy. She's 4'11". And the first time I meet her, she looks up at me, and she looks at Tammy, she looks up at me, and she turns back to Tammy and said, isn't he bigger than necessary? So, you know, my whole life has been like this. So, so I don't know what it's like to do it easy. You know what I mean? Oh, I love that. You, you met your wife and you broke her toe on a panty. Yeah, it's a true story. It's kind of hard to go from there. But, you know, you know, I know me, I wouldn't be married to me, but we all got great people in our lives that are inspiring and balance us, you know, in different ways. And. And, uh, you know, she's one of those people. So Jeffrey, I want to go in two I'd be, By the way, just so we know, I, mean, I, I would be dead if it weren't for her. I would be crazy. I'd work myself from, from whatever because I just love to do it. And it's, it's, it's good for us in our businesses and our lives to have, have balance. And that's, that's the kind of people that you that's you your balance. in your life. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I have two entirely different questions. Sure. The first question is um, with C-Suite. Yeah. You have... Um, different categories. Mm -hmm. And it appears in the world we live in today that a lot of uh, what used to be um, a terrestrial TV or radio, I call it terrestrial, like Bloomberg is, you know, yeah. the, a network as yeah, such, network. Mm -hmm. is moving away toward empowerment to people creating their own content. Oh, absolutely. Uh, how do you get heard above the noise? 
be good. That was the first thing, right? I mean, truly, you know, people say, well, how do I be good in speaking business? Or how do I run a successful be uh, be really good on stage? You know, be good at what you do. Have a message that people want to hear. So all those things apply. The cool thing is, is the barriers have come down. That doesn't mean you, 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 that you can't do it without all of it. You know, you can do it today. I mean, we're shooting video today that's broadcast quality video. You know, 1080p or higher. We got lights, we got light, we got sound, we got this. This can become a TV show. It used to be you couldn't break above that barrier because you needed that type of equipment. 15 years ago, these types of cameras would have cost tens of and 20s and 30s and 50s of thousands of dollars, and you would add a whole cruise. Now you can get it down to a couple people and very mobile and do it. So you can create your own TV, and you can have different levels of TV. Now the key is whether or not, of course, this is a very good shoot because we're using two, at least two cameras. I don't know if you've got another one, but when we shoot cameras, I do nine camera shoots in, a, in an interview like this. I'll put one on there. I'll put one on the dog walking around, whatever. You know, we'll you know put one in the back of the table, and it, that gives you different cuts, right? Then you're going to want things like B-roll. Then you're going to want uh, over, overlay voiceovers and different things. So techniques that you learn and do that allow you to be that much better. So, the, so you can create broadcast quality content very inexpensively um, in different ways. And there's lots of pioneers in this industry. And a good guy is, is like Mark Burnett, who's changed the reality TV business. But he found a way to shoot broadcast quality TV inexpensively. Now, I learned from Mark how to go and do that in the business side, and we're creating and producing television shows. What's, what's been real unique, as I said earlier in my Bloomberg show, the shift occurred. My third show in as a primetime television host you know, of a, a world-class show, where we're getting millions of dollars in sponsorships, and we're getting lots and lots of, of, of visitors or, or viewers, was that more people are watching us online. The, the, the habits change. You, you watch everything on your phone or a tablet. You know, you know where your, your phone is more than you know where your children are today. That's how important that device is. And so the ability to do that has changed our viewing habits. So by taking this kind of quality and going to where the people are, that's a huge, huge opportunity. The, the, the key is how do you build a network or a community of people who want to watch? And then how do you nurture, engage them in order to do it? There's the magic, magic that has to occur. And, you know, uh, we think we've, we've, we've solved that by being a trusted organization of hundreds of thousands of C-suite executives, by feeding them content when they need it or they don't even know they need it, but we get it to them when they're ready or we start to experience certain behavior things and we can feed that to them or be where they're at. So we're in airports, we're in hotel rooms, we're in doctor's offices, we're on United Airlines, we're on Apple, we're on Roku, we're on Amazon Fire, we're on a billion uh, smart televisions around the world because it's not just the U.S. anymore, it's not just Canada, you know, it's China, it's Taiwan and everywhere else. Jeffrey, you are an amazing person. Oh, thank you. And what you have built is phenomenal. I, I, I got to go in one other direction. Go anywhere you want, man. You put the quarter in, we get to go for the full ride here. That's I hear what's you. cool, man. You, 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 you know, you apparently don't mind asking for things because you are also sponsored by a number of people yeah. for a number of things. Right. Sure. So how do you get the sponsorships? I got every, everything I'm wearing sponsored. You kidding me? You know, it's like I, I my pin sponsored, my shirts are sponsored. This is a show part watch. Uh, the sponsor, the jackets are done by Institute, uh, uh, an Australian online company. Well, so what you, what you want to do is look for how can I give you value? 
If, you know, uh, that, that's what I, that's all I look for. Let me tell you what, if you, if you want to have, you want to have every, I think everybody that's watching this right now, every NSA speaker who's got a podcast, a TV show, a speech, they want to be sponsored by somebody, right? Sure. Okay. You will not get a sponsorship if you bitch and moan. So, Toomey sponsors me. How did I get Toomey? Because I used to write, I'm a huge, I love Toomey. Who doesn't love Toomey? So I write about Toomey, and then Toomey sees that I'm writing about them as a raving fan, and I happen to have 600,000 fans, and I happen to have uh, a million downloads, and I happen to have a primetime television show. So they write to me and say, hey, we'd like to sponsor you. Okay? That's how you get sponsors. I don't get sponsors by, I hate United Airlines, or I hate Delta. I will never fly them again. How they didn't give me my upgrade, and I get all prima donna. Do you think a, a corporate sponsor is going to sponsor you if you're negative on other brands? No. You have to learn to be nice. And if you give things, you get things back. That's a wonderful world. You know, I learned a long time ago, I used to drink Diet Mountain Dew. And I drank it like crazy, okay? And I used to, and I'd write about it, and I'd speak about it. And finally, in my first book, when I put my first book out, I wrote about it. And Pepsi sent me a truckload of Diet Mountain Dew. And that's when I started writing about Mercedes and Rolexes <laughs> and Chopars and Montblanc pens, okay? I learned very quickly. You know, I'm a dumb boy from South Dakota, but you can, I can catch on pretty quick. It, but it's really, truly that simple. If you're nice, if you're, if you're giving, if you promote, if you help, if you do, you get. And, and so many of us want to wait to get before we give. It doesn't work that way. Thank you so Thank much. You. This has been an awesome interview, and, and there is so much from this that I think the, uh, the folks listening to VOE are going to really enjoy. And again, if you're listening to clips of this on VOE, go to the NSA YouTube channel and check out the continued conversation with oh. Jeffrey Hazlett. Yeah, if you like listening, you should see what we look like. That's awesome. That's where We're eye candy right here. This is awesome. Oh, you are awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you. Some people have a gift, a quick mind, the power of using words to influence. My first introduction to our next guest was through Lightspeed VT, and I have to admit that every time we talk, I learn something. So it was natural to ask Charlie China to be our guest on VOE. Charlie will elevate your sales, and his insights are incredible. Now, here's Charlie. This is Chuck Gallagher with VOE. My guest is Charlie China. And Charlie, um, I have known you initially because of the relationship that I had with, uh, or have, with Lightspeed VT. Right. But one of the things that I found over time is uh, almost every time we have a conversation, you begin wordsmithing and helping hone the, the, the message to improve the probability of getting a sale. In fact, we had a conversation probably not three weeks ago where I was taking copious notes from the comments and the things that you were saying. So I know that you have evolved into working with a number of professionals, um, helping them with those words. Help us understand what are the things that we might really need to think about um, to improve the probability that we're going to capture the attention of that, uh, that meeting planner, that meeting professional, who would be looking to hire us to help them solve some of the problems they have. 
Sure. Well, I've been in sales all my life. So I started, you know, when I was a kid selling newspapers. I had, you know, I didn't have one newspaper route. I had, I had three. And I knew the more papers I delivered, you know, the more money I'd make, you know, the potentially the more tips that I would get at, at, at Christmas time uh, when I went to pick up, you know, the envelopes at Christmas. So that being said, I've always had a sales mentality. My dad was an entrepreneur. Um, my dad always said, listen, you, you know, you are your brand from the, you know, from the bottom up, from the shoes that you wear to the clothes that you wear. That's, that's your brand. How you shake somebody's hand, how you ask somebody their name, and most importantly, when somebody asks you what you do, you better be prepared to tell them what you do so you become distinct in, in their mind and they know who you are. So that was always instilled in my mind. And as I evolved in sales, um, I got my teeth kicked in. You know, I knocked the doors and I got the doors shut. I made the phone calls and, and got hung up on. And I had been in sales positions, again, you know, my entire life. So I learned quickly that words trigger pictures, which trigger emotions, which trigger action steps. So when you say the right words, when you have your message to market down as to what you do when you meet someone at the first point of contact, you increase your rate of people um, being interested. You pique their interest. And then you have the opportunity to position yourself and ultimately profit. So, for example, if I was meeting you for the first time, I'd say, hi, my name is Charlie. What's your name? Chuck. Great name, by the way. I would agree. Chuck, what do you do? I'm a speaker. Okay. Now, what would you say to me? What do you do? I empower speakers, trainers, and subject matter experts to monetize their content online and offline, worldwide, in three easy steps. Okay. So your response was to give me the elevator pitch versus my response, which was to define a category. Right. So if you said to me, I'm a speaker, now obviously I knew that you were a speaker, right? So it made it real easy for me to go into that elevator pitch. But that would have been my response if I was at Starbucks, right, meeting you for the first time, if I was, you know, met you on the elevator. Sure. Or if I was getting my, my dry cleaning and I was a customer and you were behind the counter and you said, hey, what do you do? Okay. So you know me and you know that I typically speak on ethics and fraud prevention. So if you said, what's your name, Chuck? And you, and, and you asked me, what do I do? What would you say that I do? Oh, oh you're, you're put putting you me on the spot, spot here. <laughs> well, I empower small businesses to large enterprise companies the ability to eliminate fraud within their organization and create a culture of trust, collaboration that ultimately results in more productivity and profit to the bottom line. I am so thrilled, Charlie that this is being recorded for VOE because now I can transcribe <laughs> that and memorize that. That made it all worthwhile. Yeah, so that's the thing. And here's the funny part, right? Um, as you know, I have a lot of you know, Hall of Fame, fame clients uh, uh, on the Lightspeed platform. And um, I've been coaching them now, like yourself, for, for quite some time helping them monetize. But as I'm here at the Influence Conference, I'm meeting new people, as well as people that are Hall of Famers, and I'll say to them, if I asked you, what, you know, what, what do you do? I'm a speaker. I'm a trainer. So you're not a speaker. You're not a trainer. What everyone needs to realize, and I've been in this arena now for six years, we're in the distribution business. 
part of distrib distri distributing your product or service, right, is you need to promote, market, sell, and close deals. And I can tell you that since I've been here, um, the word sales to a lot of speakers or trainers, and I'm saying this with all due respect, right? I'm with you. In a lot of different industries. I know it's what you're going to say. It's not just this industry. It's every industry. People don't like to sell. So I now kind of use the word, and, and, and I started speaking myself, in order for me to acquire more clients of this whole concept of how do you expose and close. So don't sell, right? Expose and close. I saw you yesterday. I was sitting out here, right? You walked past. You said, hey, Charlie. Hey, Chuck, what's going on? I said, nice jacket. By you having on this bright colored blue jacket, made a statement, right? Triggered a picture in my mind for me to give you a compliment. We start talking. You said, I'm going to get a nice tea. Which I, you bought for me. Right. Thank you very much. I said, I'll buy, right? Which led to us having a conversation. Which, which led, is why we're here. Which is why we're here, right? So that, that's what I'm saying. You have to expose and close. There's a ton of opportunity out there where within a 10-foot radius of where you are on a daily basis, people don't take advantage of those opportunities. Charlie, let me ask you a question. With what you do, and I get this, expose and close, and you said a lot of people resist the word sales. Right. And I've worked in a lot of industries, worked with a lot of sales teams, and there are a lot of people that just think sales is a bad four-letter word. Well, five-letter when you add the S to it. Um, the question that pops into my head is, it, it seems like some people are just wired to sell, to promote. Right. And other people really aren't. They might be wired to perform. They might be wired to research and may, might be really competent on the stage. So what do you say to someone that says, yeah, but I just, I really don't have the DNA to sell, Charlie? Well, that's why, well, first of all, you do have the DNA to sell because you're probably married or have a significant other. So you persuaded somebody, right, to go out with you, date you, have a relationship with you, or marry you, right? Oh, no, Charlie. She looked at me and she said, <laughs> game on, you're my man. That's what I heard, Chuck. <laughs> yeah, right. Huh? Anybody listening to this absolutely knows that is not the truth. It took four years to close that sale. Ah, oh, my man. <laughs> so, but what I'm saying is, and that's the other thing, too, right? Sometimes, sometimes th um, things take time. There's no silver bullet, which is another... Uh, thing that I try to teach my, my, my clients or, or my students, right? It's, it's not one silver bullet. So what I do is I want to teach people how to make sales easy, how to make persuasion, which again could be a dirty word, but it's not, right? You want to persuade your kids not to do drugs. You want to persuade your kids not to drink. You want to persuade your kids to do good in school, right? So it's, it's not a bad word. Right? There, there, there's an there's a old school mentality of people trying to sell you a car and a used car lot that's a lemon. And that's not the case. See, here's the reality. When you're certain, I love the word certain. When you're certain about the product or service that you have, you will want to tell the world about it. Charlie, in the uh, world of NSA, if uh, you're walking down the hall mm -hmm. and someone comes up to you and said, I've heard of you. You know, man, I heard the, the thing on VOE. Uh, you're that Charlie guy, right? Give me some tips about what I need to know to take my career to the next level. What would be two or three things that you might tell someone 
from your perspective that would help them take their career to the next level? Well, not to be redundant, but it's the first thing that I just, that I just shared with you. What do you say to somebody at your first point of contact? Because when you get your, your, your marketing message down or your message to market, which is your elevator pitch, what you do in 20 seconds or less, that will go to your website, that will go on your business card, that will go into an interview. You see what I'm saying? Sure. It just, it just becomes almost like your, your logo or your brand. Oh, that's Charlie China. Oh, Charlie helps speakers and trainers monetize online and offline, right? He helps them make money. Oh, Charlie can turn what you got into cash. So now it becomes, right, a word that triggers pictures, that triggers other words that are relative to what you're doing. So first thing I would say is write, write it down every day. Your objective is to tell 10 people what you do. Hand out 10 business cards. So I carry business cards. I have a digital business card, right? I have a website. I send people uh, a service that I use that sends out a card. So right now, one of the services that I use, let's say we just, we just met, and I know you're a high-level player that I want to close. I'll say, oh, Chuck, I mean, great, we were on VOE together. Let's get a quick selfie, and I'll come over here, and I'll take a quick selfie. And now, when I walk out of here, I'll go to this app. What's the app? Ah, I'm, I don't know if I could tell you the app. That's like a million dollar move, man. That's one oh, of my secrets. Oh, man. If you you want, know the people on VOA. If you want gonna... the app, let me know. It's called Send Out Cards. Okay. Okay. But I will go right here. Right. When I leave and, and um, upload that picture to a card. Right. And have the card sent out. Have Absolutely. The card. Hey, Chuck, thanks for having me on VOE, man. Happy to have you as my client. Happy to have you as my friend. Thanks for getting me. Some, some exposure and the opportunity to help some people. Now it's another point of contact. Now, is that hard? Is that phony? Is that, no, it's not, right? So again, you saw me walking, right? I don't know if, I stand up. If somebody approaches, I stand up. Hey, Chuck, how you doing? Not because I'm being fake, I'm being authentic, you're my friend. But what if you did that to a stranger, right? Everyone wants to feel significant. Everyone likes to hear their name. Right? Everyone here wants to be on a stage, feel significant, and have their namehood heard and have their message broadcast to millions of people. They want their book in everybody's hand. Well, then you better expose and close. Charlie, this has been great. There, has been, there are so many nuggets. And the one thing that I do know is this. For those people that are listening on VOE, I know you're accessible. Um, but you really have a knack. And it's a gift. You have a knack for being able to understand what someone does and synthesize it into something that is really practical, as you refer to it, the elevator pitch. So uh, I would say to you, uh, continue the, the, the tremendous journey of success that you have. Thank you. And thank you for being my friend and for leading me to greater heights. And, uh, and I would say to people, you know, if you need some help with the elevator pitch, pick up the phone and call Charlie. Perhaps you can, uh, you know, talk with some people and help us hone what that uh, message to market really is so that we improve the probability of uh, picking up new clients and getting our message exposed. Sure. And if people want to go to exposeandclose.com, just like it sounds, exposeandclose.com, I actually believe I still have a download there. 
that uh, will reiterate some of the things that, that I just covered. And again, if I could help people monetize online, offline, or you just need some sales consultation, um, that's what I do. I'm available. Charlie, thank you. Thank Appreciate you, it. Appreciate you, man. Yes, sir. Hi, this is Meredith Oliver with my co-host, Chuck Gallagher. And welcome back to Voices of Experience. The first introduction for many to the National Speakers Association is their local chapter. As has been said, people may forget what you say, but they will never forget how you make them feel. Our chapters are key to the success of NSA, and the chairperson of the chapter leadership committee is Allison Clark CSP, and it's my honor to have served on that committee and bring Allison to VOE to share more about this critical part of NSA. And now, here's Allison. Allison, you and I have had the opportunity to work together on the Chapter Leadership Committee. Mm -hmm. You are chairing the Chapter Leadership Committee, and I want to start by saying thank you for your service because that is a lot of work. You are welcome, and I'm so excited. Now, let's talk a little bit about the significance of NSA chapters as it relates to the National Association of Speakers. Mm -hmm. Well, it's really the first time, the first impression that so many people have. Like, you never forget the first time that you walked into your meeting, how they made you feel, what content you actually received. And so it really does start at your first chapter experience. Many of those people then hear about the national event and then actually come here. Yeah, that's absolutely true. In fact, I remember my first was NSA North Texas mm -hmm. and could not have asked for a nicer group of people. Mm -hmm. And that was in 2006, 2007. I was at my first national convention and it just has continued from that point. Yes. Now, I know that when you're working with chapter leadership, and you know, one of the things you might want to do is explain a little bit for folks that are listening to VOE, what is chapter leadership and what is that committee all about anyway? Yes. So when you become president, you actually have a coach that helps you throughout your entire term because there's a lot to do as president. You have to figure out your board. You have to make sure that everything is legal with national. And so we help you actually be successful. We have this really fun event down in Arizona where people get to come to the headquarters and it's really the boot camp of what they need to know. So we talk about the core things that you need to know before you actually serve. So we support and mentor and it's a two year service. And so really you have these really extremely tight bonds with people because they support you, your entire service. So I remember going to uh, the, the headquarters the oh, first yeah. time what an amazing experience. It is, and so many people have never seen it. And there's so much history there, right? Oh. I mean, with all the pictures and the sculptures and just the stories that you can see down there. Oh, it's absolutely amazing. Yes. Uh, and, you know, and I have to say, you know, a little shout out to the Carolinas chapter, which is where I'm hey. in. Yeah, is I was looking on the wall and counting the number of, of NSA presidents who were, you know, members of the Carolinas chapter, and it was like, Rock on, Carolinas. We were having our little influence there. Oh, yeah. Well, you forget until you actually get to see all the photos. That's absolutely yep. true. And just getting to know the people who work at headquarters because you get to go and actually spend time with them, which a lot of people don't get the opportunity to do. So there's so many more benefits when you serve as a leader than I think people know about. So, Allison, let me ask you a question. So what motivated you to decide to become 
active within NSA, volunteering your time and talents for chapter leadership and other roles? Yep, I think it, I have a similar story to a lot of people. Roger Corville found me at a conference, said, hey, I think you'd be great at membership in Oregon. And I said, what, really? And so I said yes to that. And because I said yes, then I started to move up on the board in Oregon. And because I said yes to being the president, then I had the opportunity to serve as the CLC on the team. So I think it's really about saying yes. It might not be your ideal role that you want to do, but when we say yes, opportunities come for you. And so I was just excited to see the bigger picture about what else I could do and what I could learn. I mean, selfishly, I get so many amazing ideas for my business, but also for my chapter just by being a part of it. So I think saying yes, but I feel like everyone was asked by a person like, hey, can you do that? And sometimes they aren't really excited at first, Right. then they see like what it could turn into. You know, it's fascinating because I, I, I go back now and think of some of the roles that I had played within the, the chapter mm -hmm. by saying yes to being involved, by saying yes to membership and learning new people, mm -hmm. by saying yes to programming so that you connect yourself with some amazing oh, yeah. people who are so willing to give. Yes. It's an, it, it just elevates your, uh, your, your role and your business. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Your business as well, because so many of us are solopreneurs. Right. And so when we can use examples of working with teams, instead of just telling them how to work with their teams, and you've never worked with a team, <laughs> right. it's a great experience of, hey, we actually are on this team making things happen. So it really does elevate your business. By serving, you get so much more. Allison, I want to say again, thank you for the work that you're going to be doing with chapter leadership, yes. but also championing, championing, yeah, rumor died. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a speaker. Yes, yes I know. absolutely. We're going to champion it. There we go. <laughs> I got to get that word out. But the idea that allows chapters to say, hey, what, you know what? We can be featured and we can be front yes. and center. And that re-engages everybody exactly. in some unique ways that perhaps we haven't done in the past. Yes. So thank you again for having us be a part of that because I think it's really going to increase engagement. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And speaking of chapter leadership and ideas, Betty Coffey shares the NSA North Texas Idea of the Month. Hi, this is Chuck Gallagher with Voices of Experience, and my guest is the president of NSA North Texas, Betty Coffey. And Betty, first thing I'm going to say is when I first got started in the industry, I was in Dallas, and NSA oh. North Texas was my first chapter, and talking about setting a person up for success, that certainly did it. <laughs> That's good. Well, we take pride in our NSA North Texas. We do. And I'm happy. What year was that? When were you in Dallas? That was back in uh, 2006 through 2008. Oh, my God. Well, you got to come back. Yeah, well, that's what I'm talking about. It was, it was, well, I got to say, though, the last time I came back to North Texas, I had a gig and I was driving around and like totally lost on the roads with all the construction. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to do Uber the next time because I can't figure out where I'm going. We've had a lot of corporate headquarters moving in here and Dallas, especially Plano, Frisco. And as they head north, totally changing. You probably wouldn't recognize it now. So, but come on back. You get to experience our Texas hospitality. Oh, uh, and it's wonderful. And talking about Texas hospitality, 
Uh, let's talk about the fact that as president of the chapter, every month all the chapter presidents kind of get together on a, on a call, and there typically becomes what I refer to as the idea of the month, that big idea that really makes a difference. And I'm informed that NSA North Texas has the big idea, so share that with us. <laughs> well, thank you, Chad. I appreciate that. Yeah, it was interesting how things evolve. Um, and the big idea that we're talking about is this is the first time ever our NSA North Texas chapter has its own podcast. We have our own weekly podcast that goes out internationally. And who would have thunk, okay? I mean, it just happened that it happened that way. Um, kind, of, kind of take back in time a little bit at how this transpired. Our theme this year has been power up, better, faster, stronger. So everything has been being powered up. So um, we wanted to add really value added to, um, programs for our membership and really make this an outstanding year. So when I was working with Bill Wallace and Catherine Glass, who are uh, my directors in marketing this year, I said, guys, I want the objective to go past our membership. I want, I want what we do, our special events and the things that we offer to go past just our membership and go in not, not just to the entire uh, Dallas Metroplex, but also all of North Texas, Let's go up into Oklahoma because they don't have a chapter up there. Let's go on over to North Louisiana. Let's make our presence known and have far-reaching marketing um, concept there. So we did. And so at, we started talking to a couple different um, uh, PR firms. And in October, we entered into a strategic alliance with a company called Real News Communication Network. Okay. And the whole concept here was... They, they had, they're a broadcasting, they work all the different broadcasting systems within Dallas, and they wanted to utilize our, our members as subject matter experts when they needed them on, let's say, you know, the, a news broadcast, um, something coming up real, real fast for somebody to talk about anger management or whatever was in the news. Sure. Well, that, that was one option we started talking about, which was great because that gave our, our members the opportunity to go on Fox News or the Fox Radio or whatever they were going to be doing. Then they also said, how about if we offer you, NSA North Texas, free of charge, free of charge, a your own podcast every week. And all we had to do, as you know, when podcasting, all that work is on the back end. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of technology. It takes a lot of time. That's why I think a lot of speakers start off really strong with it, but then they're like, this takes a lot of work, and I'm not going to see the efforts of all my hard work, um, the benefits of that for a little while. So they were going to be doing all that. So we started off in the end of October. Uh, once a week, we have our NSA North Texas Power Up podcast with Real News. Uh, it's a 30-minute audio-video podcast, which is absolutely fantastic. And they're brought onto the podcast as subject matter experts. In other words, I don't want them talking about, oh, this is Betty Coffee and how wonderful Betty Coffee is. No, 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 no. I want them to talk about what makes them unique in the marketplace, unique within NSA as subject matter experts. So the whole preface of the program is this is NSA, National Speakers Association, North Texas Chapter. And we have professionals that reach out and talk to meeting planners and and organizations and corporations about the, the current cutting edge issues that companies want help on, that they want expertise on. That's what we do. And this is, your, this is a program highlighting those people. 
Betty, thank you so much for the idea. And, and I have to say, from you know now well over a decade ago with NSA North Texas, you guys were always on the cutting edge and you have continued to be on the cutting edge. And I really appreciate you taking the time to be our a chapter idea of the month here on Voices of Experience. Thank you. Let's say you've been successful for two decades. What do you do to reinvent yourself so that you stay the shiny penny top of mind when meeting planners are looking for outstanding speakers? Michael Hoffman is not only a gem of a human being, but an open book when it comes to reinvention, to staying relevant, to career growth. Let's listen as Michael shares his wisdom on VOE. So, Michael, you probably do not know or maybe remember this, but... Chicago, 93? No, that's okay. I like that. <laughs> wasn't, that wasn't that Paris in 62? <laughs> Man, you go back a long do. way, I'm don't old. you? I, I mean, old you know, like the wind, my friend. Old like the wind. I will not interrupt you anymore. <laughs> that's quite all right. In 2006, I went to my first NSA chapter meeting, which was NSA North Texas. Texas. I remember Ooh. walking in, and whomever was greeting people at the time, I said, I am new to NSA. I am new to this chapter. Who do I need to talk to? And interestingly enough, they said, see, over there is Michael Hoffman, and over there is Christine Cashin, and over there, and they named a few other people, and they said, you need to talk to them. And I walked up to you and introduced myself and began talking, and you were awesome. <laughs> that is Surprise, a scary don't thought. you? No, because I remember the day that you came. I really do remember your first day because your story is so unique and fun. No, well, it, not but, at you know, the time. It's a but wonderful it, survival story. And, uh, and yeah, so you're, you're very memorable. I remember that, that day. I didn't know that I was pointed out or told, but I will tell you that is the secret of our chapter. And I think it's a secret of, of this society. I think it's a secret of NSA. And that is, um, in fact, I tell all the people that come to our chapter, I probably told you this too, but the, the phrase is, if you're not buying somebody in this chapter or in NSA a cup of coffee once a month, you're an idiot. You're just a flat idiot. You don't get it. You absolutely don't get it because there, I've never been denied sitting down having a cup of coffee saying, what works, man? Just tell me, tell, I'll share with you, you share with me, iron sharpens iron. That's the, way it, that's the way it works, and uh, it's been, I think, the secret of our chapter. Tell us today what's working for Michael Hoffman. This is a big transition time. It really is uh, for us. Uh, you, I can look back over. I've been doing this almost 25 years, and uh, there, are, there are milestones where you must reinvent. Uh, your, not, not just your message, not just coming up with a new message. I heard once on VOE, which I w was religious about listening to and uh, uh, gleaning from everybody else, but one of the things that really stuck with me was that if you, uh, somebody used the phrase, every year they make their keynotes audition to get back in, their content. They audition their content to get back in, which I think is wonderful. Another way I heard it was somebody said that um, after a year, they, well, they come back to basics to take out the improvements. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> which is great, which, is, which means sure. you're constantly honing your craft. But even more than that, you have to reinvent yourself. And for me, this is a massive reinvent, re reinvention time. I am no longer the shiny penny. 
I'm no longer the, oh my gosh, here's this thing you, you have never heard. Have you ever heard Mike? You've never heard Mike. Now uh, you get this a lot. Uh, I, I've heard it once or twice, so to me it's a lot. I'm really fighting it, which is, um, oh, we love Mike. Is he still around? I've been doing this for over 20 years. Right. And so if you're not constantly trying to get it out there in the avenues that are fresh and hip and new, um, you will get left behind. And so that, that stage with me right now is, is using technology, using uh, video like I've never used before, using um, uh, those uh, relationships to build onto current uh, clients to go deeper as opposed to broad brush as a shift for me over the last couple of years that's really kept me going. Do you find, um, do you find Michael, that when you've had the opportunity to work with a client that you can, um, and I hate to use a word, but recycle yourself back into that client over a number of years? Yes, I've, I have to tell you, uh, one of the things I'm very proud of, and I think it's very on purpose, is we have a, uh, and I say we like the Queen's we, it's, you know, it's just me and a couple other people. But, um, um, but we work very hard in uh, repeat referral. So if you've used me once, you're going to use me again, or you're sharing me with someone. We, we, we cultivate that. But what's really changed over the last, I'd say, decade, a little bit less, is, is how do we go deep and stay? And it can't be with everybody. There's not a bandwidth with me. But I do have some organizations that have been with me for 20 years. They'll use me every year. Uh, at least once, if not more, every year for, the, for a couple of decades. And I've got several clients that are over 10 years. And because you, when, you, when you have that match that you know you're talking about, that fit, how else can I serve you? There are so many ways to serve. And so um, uh, if I can, if, uh, to boil it down, the way I look at it is I'm not a keynoter. That's a delivery system. I have, I have the heart of my message, which is about communication, about being a person of influence, and you've got to own the interaction. That's the heart of what I do. My delivery system is keynoting, webinars, videos, that I, I want you to buy a cup of half. Let me show up at your meetings every Monday. And it's an add-on package. And so if I serve you once, how else can I serve you to keep this message going? If you pay this amount for a keynote, pay a little bit more for all year and let's blow this up. Okay. so. I, I, I want to go somewhere. Uh, you may not want to pull the curtain back. Take me, Chuck. Okay, a cup of Hoff. Yeah. So you a Hoff really, shot, if you will. <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> I love this stuff. That works. So if you come along and you do, you, you're you're engaged in a in a new company, mm -hmm. and you go in, knock it out of the park. Mm -hmm. you, what you're saying is, is you're going to be pitching some mechanism to deliver. Uh, short bursts of your message weekly. Absolutely. How okay. many times? How many times have you done a presentation where they said, "Oh my gosh, if we just had, if we just had Chuck every day, I want a little bit of Chuck every day." If you could go do our meetings, oh man, if we had you in our meetings, just kick off our meetings. I mean, kick off our, our huddles once a week. Well, the answer is we can do that. We have technology for that now. So, how do you deliver the cup of Hoff? Cup of Hoff is done on a weekly. At least this particular product is done on a weekly video. Okay. It's um. Uh, it, it's it's a it's a two minute video okay. and it comes with a blog and it comes with questions that you can use. It depends on who's who's buying it. If it's to management, I will send it to management because management is always looking for meeting fodder. Please, I got to come up with something to engage these people. Otherwise, they're going oh death by meetings. So I have my area of expertise. Let me let me teacup it out to you. Focus on this this week, and it's going to be funny, and it's going to be relevant, it's going to be poignant, it's going to be one takeaway, and then there's a little bit of blog that drives home the message. Right. And and if it's a if it's a manager, I'm going to give them a couple of questions to ask. I'm going to give them a meeting in a box. Okay. But it goes out every week, and that way they can use it. They can get their people to watch it. Um, we start chats online because they can respond to the video, and then we can get conversations going. That's a cup of half. 
So the Cup of Hoff, again, I'm pulling the curtain back. Sure. Where is the Cup of Hoff uh, housed? Is it, a, is it a YouTube video that's unlisted that people can go to? I is have, it a different this platform? Uh, yeah, well, I have, I use, I use uh, uh, MailChimp. Okay. To basically take one client with theirs. Now that's, it, it, it's, it's several opera, uh, delivery system is, there's so many varieties out there. Yeah, there are. So I can either, you, you pay a license every year, which renews every year, by the way, very nice. Sure. So they give you a license and then uh, you can uh, give it in a delivery system that's best for them. I can give you the videos in my, my blog and everything else to, to be internal. Right. Or I can send it to your people directly. I have some clients that we don't get together, just send it to their phones and everything else. Sure. So I can send it out there. And I use MailChimp and I use Wistia, uh, which uh, lets them have conversations and it's not on YouTube so they don't get taken in other places. But right. there's lots of uh, models for that. So there's a platform for the video and there's a platform for the CRM and we meld it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Or we can do it internally depending on how large. I have some organizations that's large enough that says we're, we don't have to deal with spam. It comes from us. And I say here. Right. Perfect. Do with what you will, and they renew every year. So, what are you finding the uh, hmm, take up rate is for people with that idea? You know, your client base. getting more and more. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, good. It's a, you mean my clients as far as the closing rate, that type of thing? Well, yeah. I mean, if you're sitting there and you say, okay, well, I'm, I'm making it easy for me. Well, I'm going to do 100 days a year, so therefore I have 100 potential opportunities to sell it within this the scope of this year. Forget it older clients, how many of those are going to say, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. Gee, let's go ahead and get a cup of Hoff. 20%, 15%, 50%. Yeah. Um, we're still working on those numbers. I mean, okay. I mean literally, uh, we started the cup of Hoff program about a year, not even a year, it's not even a year old. Okay. And we're, we're having a, a, a real nice success with it. So, uh, but I will tell you this, it's only for people that have seen me. Now, in my case, right. this would not be the poster child. You would, uh, you know, this this face is not the face for the you new, young, hip, you know, um, customer service. Are this is what we want our face of customer service to look like? I'm 55. I'm, I'm facing that for the first time in my career, so I'm not young and hip. Look, I have no look. Why would you pick me for video? Well, because my strengths are I can be funny, I can be poignant, and I can call a shot like a shot. Plus, I can use my age and the way I come across as. Um, a little bit as you know a little bit wisdom with with a delivery system that's likable by everybody unless you know me you're not going to buy me okay so that makes I, sense i only market to people that have seen me matter of fact you will not hear about me unless i come out and speak it's a follow-up package gotcha it's not a spear point and i and that what, what we're finding is because you i've had an opportunity to come out and do a great keynote and they love it they're open to how do we keep the roi going that's that's great um, verbiage that this whole model is built on Chad Hymas. You know, he's, he does a wonderful, he was the, really the first one that I really loved watching on how he served his people after a keynote. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I unofficially call it the Chad Hymas model, but he was, that's what he does is, is how can I keep this message going? And the verbiage he used was the, the value that you got for the keynote, let's keep the ROI going all year for X amount more. And if you're Chad Hymas, you will say, I want that too, and that's such a deal. Well, I have my share too of people that go, that's such a deal, I want that. Sure. Okay, that's perfect. And you know, when you were talking about that, I was thinking about Chad, mm -hmm. because uh, it it's is... Completely stolen from Chad Hymas. Which, which, you know, <laughs> but you bring your message, sure. Chad brings his, and... That's Chad calling right now. That's, I, see, I know that. Michael, thank you for being an initial friend at NSA North Texas. I appreciate that and will never forget you. Chuck, Thank you. my pleasure, buddy. And, and you do a great job too. I really appreciate, you know, 
I, I know what it's like to sit in the chair of VOE and the, and the pressure that you feel. But understand this, we already love you. You're doing a great job. Thank you, sir. And on VOE, you've just had a cup of Hoff. And now it's time for Money Matters, here with Joel Block on Voices of Experience. What is value? What is your value? What are you contributing to your clients? Well, the truth is, your opinion of that really doesn't make any difference at all. What matters is what the client thinks. The client is the one that has to understand your value and your contribution and the exact benefit that they get as a result of whatever it is that you're doing with them every single time you have a contact. So here's the way you got to figure this out. You have to understand what it is that the client is getting from this. How much money are they making from you? How much satisfaction are they getting from you? What other indirect benefits are they getting from you? And by understanding that, you then can take a percentage, you can take a piece, you can participate, you can give them more of exactly what it is that they want which is good for you in the long term and certainly good for the client. And that is how you draw a line to the money. I want more gigs. Why? What do you mean why? You see, there are fundamental truths that happen in life and, well, like gravity, Marilyn Sherman shares that transformative value of discovering the truth of why. But let me let the Hall of Fame speaker, Marilyn Sherman, provide clarity for us here on Voices of Experience. So I am thrilled to have Marilyn Sherman, who is now in the Speaker Hall of Fame. Yeah. Marilyn, congratulations. That is awesome yeah, and cute. so well-deserved. Thank you. I really, I really appreciate it. It was a great night. Oh, great night. I, I yeah. know. Yeah. So yeah, you probably haven't quite come down from that high no. yet. No. <laughs> I can tell by the look on your face <laughs> like and the glowing. grin. Yeah, you're kind of going, yeah. 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 So, one of the things that you had said was uh, at some point you'd had a transformative experience yes. that really changed your business. Yeah. And, and I know you've been in NSA for a number of years. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about the transformative experience and what took place. Well, I have been in NSA a long time. I think this is my 24th consecutive convention, 24th oh, or wow. 25th. I haven't missed one. And to use a Mark LeBlanc line, it just means I've never had work in July. <laughs> but, um, but it's really been such an integral part of my business. And what happened recently um, was a definite shift and all of a sudden it's like my world is opening up. So when I came in, I was constantly comparing myself to other speakers. Okay. I would see a speaker on main stage and thinking, why didn't they pick me and I'm better than that. And it was a big comparison game. And then every time I heard someone talk about their calendar, I'm like, I need to have that many speeches. I need to have that many gigs. And and then I would work with coaches and they would say, what's your goal? What's your vision? I'd say, I want 80 gigs a year. I want 80 speak, you know, keynote speeches a year. And, um, and I was like chasing and chasing and chasing. Then I had a mind shift. A mind shift. It was a shift of my perspective. It was a shift of um, everything. And I, f I focused on my why. Because my business is not just getting gigs. So I want the gig. And I realized the deal. The deal is, um, my husband and I don't have any children, 
but I serve on the board of directors of an organization called the Village of Hope Las Vegas, and they um, cater to these homeless children who have no place to go after school. So it's an after-school program, and there are, um, we have an amazing board to serve to make sure these kids have a safe place to be. Um, we serve 22 children. Okay. That's such a small number. And the only reason why it's only 22 is because that's all we can afford for the teachers to watch those children after school. I see. So instead of my goal being, I want 80 gigs a year, my goal is I want to double the number of kids we can support. I want to triple the number of kids we support. So when I shift my mind to the intention, um, that means when I speak, I have a reason. It's like, I want to I want to hit bigger audiences. I want to impact more people so that I have the ability to go and help those children. Do you see the oh, shift? I absolutely yeah, see so the it, shift. It's like my why. And then when someone heard that at the end of the night, they said, oh, so your true passion is those kids. It's like, no, my true passion is to impact lives with my message of hope. And then I, the focus of that would be to help people like these children in Las Vegas. Does that make sense? It does. It absolutely yeah. does. Yeah. So, so for you, what I'm hearing you say is you kind of found your why. Yes. I mean, really yeah. laser focused yeah. why. Yeah. And the kids just became the crystallizing factor yeah. of how that plays. Exactly. So for example, um, uh, there's a lot of people that sell to other speakers. Sure. As, you as know. we know. I'm, of course. And I don't sell to other speakers, um, but people call me and say, can I pick your brain? Well, I was so inspired by seeing Oprah do this amazing keynote presentation and then did a call to action to donate money for this um, Minnie's Cafe here in Dallas. And she raised in one night $1.5 million from people in the audience just saying, I'll give. Right. That night also transformed me because I thought, oh my gosh, I need to live a bigger life so that if I had an opportunity to say, hey, by the way, would you like to give? People are inspired to give. Sure. So, um, the, so when I got a call the very next day, Marilyn, can I pick your brain about my keynote business? I said, absolutely. And I was walking the Katy Trail, so I had time. And so we talked for an hour. And at the end of the call, he said, wow, you are so generous with your time. I said, well, to thank me, could you please make a donation to the village of hopelasvegas.org? And all of a sudden I thought, wow, I could do this all the time. So I went to the Power Women of NSA and I said, hey everybody, if anybody wants an hour of coaching, uh, there's no fee. I was just asked for a donation for the village of hopelasvegas.org. Sure. And I met several women that just, well, some people just donated and just called me up and said, I don't need coaching. I just want to support the cause. So do you see the shift? Absolutely. So it's not like 80 gigs, 80 gigs, just to say, I got 80 gigs. It's like, no, what can I do to impact the world so that I can help more people? So you know, that could be 80 gigs, it could be five. It right. could be 150. So the number doesn't matter. Right. And, and because I've shifted that, all of a sudden more doors are opening. You know, the thing, Marilyn, that just strikes me about that, I mean, it just screams is, is you're sitting here saying, how can I give? Yes. Instead of how can I receive? Yes. Yes. And that really is a spirit of NSA. Yes. Yes. And um, somebody asked me one time, um, well, how come you're not doing a breakout? How come you're not speaking at NSA? And I, because my mind hadn't shifted yet, I said, um, well, they haven't asked. And, and then they, they stopped me and said, uh, 
It's not about them asking you. It's about you filling out the call for proposal to say, this is what I can give the association. And I thought, oh, got it. So I filled out a call for proposal and I, I spoke that year. And then um, that was the year that uh, my dad died the day before. I came in and I spoke and um, everybody in the audience, they kind of knew something was going on because I had a story about a fallen soldier with a flag draped over the coffin. And then I said, by the way, I had to switch out the photo because now that is my dad in the coffin with the flag over it. And Lori Guest was in the audience saying, just look at me, just look at me, don't crack up. You know, don't cry, uh, look at me so you don't crack. And then I forgot to look at Lori and I looked at Bill Staten <laughs> and made some crack about him not having a CSB and we all laughed. Um, and then he eventually got a CSB. But uh, it was like a, um, it was like this community of love yes. and support and kindness and compassion because the next day I had to go eulogize my dad. Yes. Um, so when people say, what's the value of NSA? What do I get out of it? You get out of it what you put into it because when you, you give unconditionally, you are illuminating this light for other people to be drawn to you and then you get that back. So you start with what can I do to give to the association? Marilyn, there is so much reason for you to have received mm. the designation of being in the Speaker Hall of Fame. And, and that comes through, it screams through with what you say. Hey, wanna help Marilyn since she shared so openly about how she's attracting success? If so, consider going to the villageofhopelasvegas.org and making a contribution. I know she will appreciate a contribution of any amount. Now, I just went online and made my contribution as a way of saying thanks for a great job. Nothing like having an attitude of gratitude. As much fun as I have with these interviews and with Brad Montgomery, you can't help but have fun. But once we move past the fun of the moment, Brad quickly shared what is a key moment for him and what has propelled his career to amazing success. He said he knew the day he got good. Let's listen. And well, through a few laughs, let's learn as well. Hi, this is Chuck Gallagher with VOE. My guest is Brad Montgomery, and I have a feeling that this is going to be a particularly fun session. Wow, let's lower the bar right there. Really? No? Yeah. Are you I think serious? I should say it's going to be a crappy section. A section. And then <laughs> section, if we uh, over-deliver, uh, woo! Uh, okay. <laughs> well, there we have it. So let's start again. Hi, I'm Chuck from VOE, and this is going to suck. Over to you, Chuck. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm just thrilled to be Brad Montgomery because, you know, if anybody else were me, I don't, I don't know if they could stand it. Yeah, I've heard you're amazing. Oh, <laughs> well, gee, gee, thanks, Chuck. I appreciate you uh, putting that little plug out there for me. Okay, now we can rewind this tape and completely put it back yeah, on listen, track. Hi, be Brad. <laughs> listen, before we start, I just want you to know that um, I've got some free resources I want you to go to neenjames.com and you can download, especially if you're a new speaker, download those cool contextual models. Fantastic. It's oh, my gift to you. Oh, I am, I am, I am so here thrilled. for you. Thank you so neenjames much. There we have it. And you've heard the offer here on <laughs> VOE. Is everyone doing that, Sydney? Hi, welcome to VOE. Please go to my website and 
No, actually, they're not. Okay. But you, you're the first person that's you know referenced uh, okay. the free someone stuff else's, on a, right? someone else's website. I want you to go to bradmontgomery.com. There is nothing for you, but whatever. You go. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to buy. Okay, so <laughs> I knew this was going to be good. Take me from uh, beginning speaker to where you are today. In how much time? <laughs> in five minutes or less. Well, I was born in a log cabin. Well, okay. Or a manger, I don't remember. Uh, all right, so when I first started, I was an I see the manger thing. I do <laughs> definitely see that. In <laughs> swaddling clothes, right, Brad? I really should get to some content, right? <laughs> Apparently. I need an outline. When I started, I was an entertainer. I was doing magic and comedy. I was hired to be the after-dinner guy. People were drinking. They didn't want any wisdom, and if they did, I didn't have it. Um, and that was fun. And now it's almost 30 years later. I'm selling myself as a guy that has an idea that maybe would be helpful. And why don't you listen to it? And I still use, I mean, I think anybody who would watch me might, I mean, they better think that was fun. And I'm going to be disappointed if they're not laughing. And I'll be disappointed if they look at me and just go, ah, it was so boring. But at the same time, that means I'm using all those skills I used as an entertainer to try to push the idea out. And it, it was just like a 30 year train and it took you know so there's lots of little zigs and zags but you know if you if you squint your eyes that's what it is I was an entertainer now I'm a speaker who is entertaining so I, I've got really two marginally serious questions Ooh. okay yeah, I know but I was the after-dinner speaker and I'm gonna guess today that the quote after-dinner speaker may not be in vogue that there aren't many after dinner entertainer speakers. So did, did yeah. the evolution from that to really having content as a speaker who is also entertaining evolve because you wanted the content or evolve <laughs> because the marketplace changed? Okay, Chuck, I have heard speakers who I really love and admire say, this is my calling. I, I am, this is my role on the planet to get this message out. I am not like that. I'm the opposite, because I was exactly what you thought. I was the after-dinner guy, and I saw the market, which was, yeah, there was more slots for the speaker in the daytime. And, and so at first, because I had three kids to put to college, I, I needed some dough. And so at first it was, yeah, how do I do that? What, what does that mean, and can I do it? So yes, and then the, I think the cool thing that happened is that was exactly the, the bit, and I was sort of doing whatever I could to try to fill that, and whatever I could to try to make the meeting planners happy. Um, and then finally, when I grew up a little bit, I kind of grew into my own topic. So I'd, I kind of am jealous of the speakers who said, oh, this is my message that I must share with the globe. I was never that way. Except for now, I'm 52, and I've sort of drank my own Kool-Aid finally, and going, oh, this is really, I believe this stuff. This is, this is fantastic. But uh, yeah, it was a process. It was trying to get those, do those dollars. Okay. So what are you finding today whenever you're marketing yourself? Well, first, let me, I'm making an assumption. How do you market yourself? I tell people I'm a speaker. I'm a motivational speaker. And then uh, and occasionally, but rarely, do I use the word funny. Uh, and then I, I assume that when they check through and look at my videos and they see audiences laughing, they will discover that I'm funny. But I, I think people are not craving that word funny, at least for the slots I'm after. Right. They're craving, uh, oh, he's a speaker. Oh, would he be helpful? And then um, either behind the scenes, they're thinking of it, or, and sometimes I think they're not even aware that they're looking for, of course we want funny. Right. 
but I think rarely do they say to themselves, go get a comic. Right. That's not what they're after. Okay. Talk to us a little bit about the content. You said you drank your own Kool-Aid, so tell us about the Kool-Aid. Yeah, so um, I kind of know the day I got good. Really? Ooh, don't you want to know more? Yes. So All right, so if this was know? my keynote for like the past 10 years, and it changed, but here's, here's what it was. Eventually, I got to a place where I'd go along, and it was good, and I think the audience was responding, and it was neat. But then I'd get to this one little section that I just loved, and that was the like, stuff I believe in. It wasn't me reporting on other people's ideas. It was like, oh, I, like, oh, I love this. And then I'd do it, and I'd think, that's so fun. And then I'd finish it up. And, close. and you know, didn't suck. I was pretty proud of it. People liked it. I was making a living. And then I blew it up because I just got, I just, I just, I don't know, a million things happened to make me say, it's time. So I just said, in one year, I'm getting rid of this keynote. In 12 months, I need to have exactly one hour of stuff. I'm allowed to keep this because I love that. So I'm going to expand that, but everything else has to be new. And I did it, you know. So I was super proud of myself um, when, I, when I realized I've got, like, I did it in exactly the time limit. My, my last gig of the calendar year, it was brand new except for this. And it sucked, you know, because I had to, in order to <laughs> fulfill my promise to myself, I put in some B and C material to okay. do it. All right. But um, that was sort of the beginning of something that's happened fairly recently where I feel like, oh, I've landed on it because this is what I should have been talking about all the time. This is like... Brad really believes this. Brad, you know, he, no one else thought of this. Turns out a million people thought of it. I don't have a, some brand new crazy idea, but I have something that's deep in me that, you know, I feel strongly about that I can look anybody in the eye and say, totally, this is the way you should go. Right. And I never had that. So that, that's my topic. That's the, that's my value right there. And I think that's also not a coincidence that that's where I got good. Because I started talking about what I believe in. So did that small piece expand into the keynote that you deliver today? Yes. Right. So I, I was doing, in many ways, a keynote that was a combination of book reports. Like, here's the fantastic things I know to be true because I've read so many books. I put them together with my own ideas and my own um, stories. And, you know, I'm, I'm, it wasn't horrible. I, I was good at it. Right. But, yeah, when I said... Well, forget the books. I'm 52 years old. What do you believe, Brad? I, I believe this. Well, let's go figure out a way to tell that to the audience. And, you know, can we give structure to that? Can we give stories to that? Can we support that in a way that the audience walks out saying, I know what Brad believes? What do you find the audience response is now to you when they really are experiencing the authentic Brad saying, this is what I believe. Yeah, Chuck, I wish I would have known this secret earlier because it's awesome. Like, you know, I don't mean to belittle what I was doing before because I, I think it was good and the audience, you know, I was doing this for a living. Sure, an audience responded. Right. Yeah. Uh, but when I am able to just feel that this is what I am, when I, when I be able to say this on stage, my core belief is I think the audience gets that and they know I am, there's no bullshit. Like this guy believes that. And they may or may not believe it and I don't care anymore because I still know it's true. And I think they get that. I think they feel like, oh, we're, we're, this is not crap to that guy. He really believes it. And he gets 45 or 90 or 120 minutes to try to convince us. 
But his thing is, I think they're responding more. I don't think they're responding. I know they're responding more. I have two questions, so I'm going to start with one. So you had this core belief. That was the part that you really always liked delivering in any of the speeches over many, many years, right? Yeah. And and you added some, as you put it, some B and C content to it to create this new speech. And But now you've expanded that, that core belief into a, a full-length keynote presentation. How did you eliminate the B and C content and expand what was smaller into something that is a full-length keynote? Yeah, I don't know. Um, time is the you got to try new things, you got to hone them, and you got to cut the ones that don't work. Okay. So right in or, in order to fil fulfill my promise to myself to have a new hour, I put in some stuff that wasn't as good as what I was replacing because what I was replacing was killing it with audiences. Sure. So what? How do you make the B and C stuff better? One, you repeat it enough that it's good. So it just takes polishing, right? Now, these are stories that I think were good, but that I hadn't figured them out yet. Or, you know, I needed to put them on stage and see what works. I needed to try different approaches to them and see if it works. And then eventually, you have to cut what doesn't work, and that's pretty hard to do, right? And I'm still at the place where I have, like, in my current keynote. So it's been about two years since I've said, oh, "I'm gonna have a new, a new keynote." It's good. I feel really proud of it, but I know that there's stories in there that need to be replaced. And I got a few reasons why I think they need to be replaced. So I'm hunting, and that's another thing we can do is always be on the lookout of what, what needs to go and what am I going to put in, in there. And if I don't know it, what needs to go in there, all right, at least I'm on the, I'm on the right path because I, I know what I need to get rid of, and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, like, maybe something will happen in here. I'm, like, waiting for that magic thing to happen where I can tell the audience about it and say, this makes my point better than that thing that's working pretty well, but it isn't, for me doesn't fit as well. So it sounds like you actually uh, spend a fair amount of time on not only delivering the keynote, but analyzing that delivery. Is there any process that you go through and, you know, in analyzing yourself and saying, okay, I either can make this story tighter or mm, I need to ditch that story and find something better. What's your process? Well, there's a, uh, there are a few things, but I, I got a really specific one that I think works, and it's directly related to NSA. Okay. Which is, I think we ought to be using our peers more. And by using, I just, here's how I've done it, I, is I've called people that I admire and love and say, I, I think you're a star. Would you consider trading with me? Huh. Would you look at my video and give me all whatever wisdom you could come up with in exchange? I, I would love to do that for you if you feel that'd be helpful. And some really brilliant people, I'm so flattered and thankful, have said yes. And so, yeah, I think coaching is important and go for that. But I think sometimes we can coach each other in ways that are really meaningful. Because I'm like, I'm not a coach. I, I'm not, not available for hire really. I don't do that. But right. on the other hand, if I love working with my pals and say, yeah, would you trade with me? Yes. So I've, I've initiated that, and I, I would tell anybody to do that in a snap. Find some of your friends, people you feel are at a similar level to you and say, that you admire, and say, can you see things in me that I cannot see myself? Can you help me articulate them sure. in a way that's helpful for me? Brad, i I, I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with the interview. Thank you so much. And, and you know, in the generous offer you made, to go to neanjames.com and, 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 and the seven free sessions that I think you said she That's offered. That's right, was, yes. Isn't that right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's incredible Enter how you're such a giving person. Enter the mailing list for a chance to win a free uh, makeover or whatever. <laughs> 
That, that giving spirit of other people's material is just incredible. Yeah, yeah. I don't, <laughs> there's nothing I'm going to say to that because I'm afraid you'll put it up somewhere. <laughs> Brad, it's great, buddy. Thank you so thank, much. Thank you, Chuck. I appreciate all you do. Absolutely. My pleasure. And now here's Chuck with another interview for Voices of Experience. Do you want to book more business? Now, if you said no, please turn off VOE because this segment is not for you. For those who screamed yes, then listen and, well, personal suggestion, watch Lois Kramer who shares so much value. This is a segment you, you might want to play over and over so you get the full impact of the golden nuggets that Lois shares. In the National Speakers Association, there are a number of people who are recognized as experts in their field. Lois Kramer is one of those with her website, Book More Business. And I know from conversations you and I have had before that you really specialize in helping people understand how to get more business. That's right. It's a very niche business. This is all I do, working with just professional speakers who want to monetize their intellectual property. Okay, so Lois, number one, it's a niche business. That reminds me of the funeral world, I'm saying. <laughs> Can't help it. There's just something about that word that really is enlightening or inspiring or hot. In any event, <laughs> it is a unique business to be in, and, and I know you have great success because I've talked to people that have worked with you. So here's my question for you. As a speaker, I've just delivered a kicking keynote. I mean, people are coming up to me. They're telling me a great job. They're being vulnerable with me, whatever it happens to be, and I need to figure out how I'm going to get more from this event. What are the things you're going to advise me to do? I'm glad you asked me about this part of the business because I think it's part of the business that we don't talk about enough. And it, I've been sharing a message this year with the chapters that I've visited about something that I call aftercare. Um, what do you do after the speech? Right. And um, I think that we establish great relationships with the speech. You go in, you give a speech, they love you, they think you're the smartest thing in the world. And then you go on to your next speech, or. Um, when I started in 1998, I did some sales programs, corporate sales programs. And one of the things I always did, Chuck, was after I did the program, I went back to my office and I called the person who hired me. And I said, I loved being with your group today. They seem pumped up. They like my ideas. Say, do you think it would make sense, which is one of my phrases that pays, do you think it would make sense for us to make sure your sales managers can actually implement the ideas, tactics, and suggestions that I had today? Because if you do, we could work out an arrangement where I could spend some time with those sales managers to implement this information. Okay. Now, when you say, do you think it would make sense? It's a hard thing to say no to. We spend thousands to bring you in, but we don't want to actually implement this information. Right. And I want it to be a hard no. And I'll tell you what happened with me. 
uh, many times I made more on the back end than I did for the speech in front of the group. And for people who do consulting, coaching, small group work, I want you to think about how can you further monetize this relationship that you've established with someone after you've given a speech. And it's not going out and, and creating a new area of expertise. It's repurposing your material. It's making sure that you can give people the, uh, the, the answers to their questions, give them new tactics. And for me, it was listening to the feedback they had on the ideas that I gave them. This was very interesting. Um, I did it back then in Google Groups. We don't have Google Groups now, but we've right. got, we've got uh, Zoom. You can record them. And um, I always say, let's gather together. You do this virtually. You don't have to get on a plane to do this, which is one of the advantages, I think, for people. Um, also, aftercare can be webinar. Maybe you can do three follow-up webinars um, to implement certain things that you mentioned in your speech. Maybe it can be writing articles. In the next six months, you're going to put articles in front of these people who were in your audience. But it's all about thinking, how can I further this relationship and add some accountability to the information that I gave them? How can I help them actually implement these new ideas, tactics, and strategies that we talked about in the speech and be more successful with them? Okay, now, Lois, I want to go kind of, kind of deep with that, okay? Yeah. And if I'm overstepping bounds, yeah, you'll tell me, okay? <laughs> but you said, well, you know, but I'm talking to a group of salespeople, and, and, and you ask the question, the phrase that pays, that's hard to say no to, but if you're speaking to a group of people as an entertaining keynoter, the question becomes, what is there to implement? I provided a, a, an incredible experience. They enjoyed themselves. I really would like them to remember two or three things, perhaps. But what next? I want to caution people on the labels that they use for programs. Okay. You know, there's great misunderstanding, even in our meetings industry, on how we define a keynote, a breakout, a workshop. Um, and what is ruling even the keynote stage now is content. Okay. High content rules this industry now. Um, I tell people um, who come up to me and, and may say, you know, Lois, I'd love to be a motivational speaker. And I said, no, you don't. That ship has sailed. What really, really packs people in and gets the interest is leading with content. Follow with your style of speaking. Say, so I might say, I'm a high content speaker who's motivational in style. Oh, okay. that's an interesting phrase. It, it's, well, I'll tell you, I work, some of the speakers bureaus have hired me to work with their agents on selling you all. Okay. And I asked um, one of the owners years ago, could I talk with one of your corporate people who books a lot of speeches? Tell him I'd just like 15 minutes of his time. And I did. And the first thing he said to me was, um, tell Joe, not his real name, tell Joe to quit sending me motivational speakers. And I said, why do you say that? And he said, because for corporate, for corporate, we liken motivational speaking to cotton candy. Chuck, he said, it looks like it has a lot of content, but it dissipates too quickly. Ooh. And I thought that was an interesting metaphor 
And an interesting way to describe it, and all I know is ever since the economy slowed down in the mid-2000s, high content takeaways, people want even, unless it's pure entertainment keynote. Right. People, are, people still want that content in a keynote. So make sure that you are um, defining these things correctly when you go in. For people who do uh, more of a, of a high content, uh, I'm sorry, more of an entertainment keynote, I think going back and implementation might not work. However, however, this doesn't preclude you from selling products that may help people down the road. Um, you should be selling books, tapes, digital right. recordings, sure. things like that. This is all part of aftercare. Right. Um, I would say it, maybe except for books. I am real big on pre-selling books and using my phrase that pays again by saying this. Do you think it would make sense now that I'm coming in to do this program for everybody in the audience to be able to walk away with a reminder of my visit and even more information than I'm able to give you today. Because if you do, we can make that happen and put my book in the hands of every attendee. Okay, so here on VOE, you might wanna stop the recording of the podcast at this point, <laughs> rewind slightly, I would say the tape, but that ages me, because there is no tape. But to go backwards a second and listen to exactly that phrase, because that phrase is priceless. Well, it works. Um, I can tell you, my clients will tell you that it works. And so I want you to consider, uh, for those of you who are selling books, whatever kind of products you have, pre-selling and making selling in the back of the room your fallback. Let's sell cartons and crates of books and not a book at a time. That's not the business you need to be in, selling a book at a time. You can do that on Amazon, on your own website. But I think pre-selling, it also can allow people to realize the full depth of your information. It also is, you know, a walking business card in a way. It gives people um, reason to bring you back to cover more than you obviously were able to. So I think aftercare can have different definitions, Chuck, depending upon um, how you would categorize yourself as a speaker. So let's assume for a moment that you have um, quality content that can be delivered in a motivational way. Um, and you know that you're going into uh, a department of a company, a corporation's got 25,000 employees, but you're going into a department to deliver to 300 people. Yes. Okay? Yep. So you just delivered to 300 people, and those are influencers, but there's a lot of people left behind. Yes. And you're thinking, wow, wouldn't that message be great if everyone could get that? Yes. How would you, from an aftercare perspective, pitch how we deliver that to those... 26,700 people that are left? You know, that's a great question. I, I had this come up uh, when I was doing my sales programs. I worked for a large uh, company in St. Louis. We had its headquarters in St. Louis. And I worked for one of the divisions. And there were other divisions who had salespeople in them. Sure. And I knew my message would be meaningful for them. Um, so my uh, strategy, if you will, was to first do a great job for the division that hired me in the first place. Of course. And then afterwards to go back to the person who paid me, who decided to secure the date for me, and go back and say, I know you have different divisions. You can find out, you know, you can do a lot of 
um, marketing intelligence just on the website, how many other divisions. Sure. What other, your other divisions, could they use a message like this too? And would you mind writing me a testimonial and letting me use your name and putting it in their mailbox suggesting that you suggested that I get a hold of them, that, that this message might be meaningful? And can I allow you to be one of my advocates? If you would do that, I would so appreciate it. I did this and worked in four out of the five divisions um, of this large company. It was with a phone call, and the person who hired me could not have been more nicer. Wrote me a testimonial, introduced me by email to the other division heads, said, if you want a personal testimonial, call me, which I mean, was really very generous. And I did. I got business that way. But, you know, I did a, um, I did a little webinar with Fripp. And she said, I want to ask you, she calls me Lois Bookmore Business Kramer. <laughs> you do that so well. Actually, better than she does herself, which is a whole interesting <laughs> dynamic. Um, she said, what's the biggest mistake you think professional speakers make? And I said, it's easy. One word. Leverage. They don't leverage the success that they've just had. And so to me, the key to leveraging is, of course, aftercare, like we just discussed. It's looking at other divisions within a corporation, which we just discussed. But it's also looking at, okay, I just spoke for Bank of America, say. Who would be uh, happy knowing that I worked for Bank of America and that experience would carry some weight? Other banks, uh, payroll companies, accounting services, um, only 50,000 associations in the banking industry would be, interest, would be interested in that. So it's looking at leveraging your success into the next success. Too many people, especially earlier in their careers, go out, hit a home run, feel great, go back to their office and go, wow, I can't wait to do that again. I wonder where I can do it. Without thinking, how can I take this home run I just made and leveraging it? Who will be happy to hear about this? And this is what I did when I was selling my sales programs. I looked at all of the associations connected with it. And also, you know, I think that we've become lax about asking for referrals. And by just simply asking the person who hired you, you know, now that you know what I do, is there anybody else you think who could use a message like this that I could contact? This is so easy to do, um, but I think that we don't do it. We aren't deliberate enough. Why? What do you think is the driving factor that would keep someone from asking such a simple question with such profound potential from ever raising the question to begin with? I'll tell you what, why I think it is. I think it's that people, <laughs> I always hear, Chuck, and I will hear it, this weekend at our convention, I hate to sell myself. And I always say, well, then you might want to think about another line of work. Because if you don't sell yourself, who the hell is going to do it? Excuse me. <laughs> That's fine. And even if you hire someone and train them to do it, having staff can be a revolving door. The only constant is you. You're the only one who doesn't leave. And you need to be able to sell your intellectual property better than anybody. And um, so I think that people are reticent 
to ask for the business. And I think that um, you've got to think more about your programs as more of a commodity, maybe. I, I was telling this to someone on the plane today. I, I never took rejection personally when somebody, or, or still do, if somebody says I'm going to work with so-and-so instead of you. I always put everything to fit. I'm not the right fit. I look at what I do, the information, my intellectual property is more of a commodity. This is the commodity I'm selling, I'm putting out in the marketplace. If this commodity is a good fit for you, I hope you'll think about working with me. If it isn't, you'll have to work with somebody else who's a better fit. But I think that people are reticent to talk about themselves. And I think that some people um, are not comfortable saying, you know what, I just was really honored to present at Bank of America. And they were thrilled with the, with the program. In fact, a couple of them said it was one of the best program. Use a third person testimonial. Sure. Um, but you have to toot your own horn in this business if, if you're serious about it. You've got to toot your own horn. Now, I'm saying amen to that, sister. In the age of social media and disruption, what are we doing to maintain and improve our health? My next guest, Rochelle Rice, is all about movement and her wisdom and insight is amazing. And now, here's Rochelle. Hi, this is Chuck Gallagher with VOE. My guest is Rochelle Rice. And Rochelle, I am so delighted to have you. This is awesome. Thanks, it's great to be here with you today. Okay, so, Years ago, I go back a number of years with chapter leadership. You were responsible for chapter leadership, providing, I, I, I mean, just such energy. Mm. And, it, and, and a lot of it was getting us up and moving and so forth. Um, so I, first thing, tell us a little bit about your experience through NSA, because clearly you've taken the deep dive and really been very active. And I, I'm curious to know in your business, what caused you to do that, and how has that benefited you? I give a lot of my, my journey through NSA, my journey through leadership in NSA, I give a lot of credit to the people around me. I started in my chapter, New York City chapter, that had just recently gone from a tri-state, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, to just the New York City. And we did a shift back then, which was from affiliates and professionals to professional members only. So the focus became on the professional speaker, the working professional speaker. That kind of drove the whole thing forward, and I became president of the chapter. From there, I went on to the chapter leadership, which was really nice to work with our 34 or 35 chapters across the country. Uh, spent probably about five years on the chapter leadership committee, and then recently um, on my second year on the board of directors. So for those people who are listening that don't know Rochelle Rice and what you do, talk to us a little bit about your what you do in the speaking profession yes. and what your motivation is. So what I'm working on, my area of expertise is body-based leadership. We're in this age of disruption. And in the age of disruption, how do we maintain our health in order to be able to not only thrive, but evolve as we go forward? How do we embrace the disruption and at the same time stay healthy in our bodies? And so there's three different points that I use when trying to 
embrace this change and the disruption and keep the body. The first one I talk about is posture. How are you standing? Are you standing up in all that's going on or is your body reflecting the shifts and the change and the nervousness that we see that's going on around us? And in fact, does your body reflect stronger than what your audience might be feeling? We don't like the change, but we have to stand. We as speakers have to stand in the change. So I'm looking at a lot of people's bodies and the way they're standing and taking up space as part of a way to move forward and evolve in this disruption. The second thing has to do with breathing. I know a lot of people talk about breathing, but a lot of people don't understand anatomically where the lungs are, what they do, how they work for us. And one of the most interesting facts for me is that if you took the lungs and laid them out flat, they would cover an entire tennis court. That's how much what? there is to the yes. And these okay, wait a minute. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Yeah. If you laid them out. Lay them all out, they take the entire tennis court. And what's wow. fascinating, that's it. So what it does, what people have that information, it's like we know in our minds we have to breathe, but we don't understand the direct application all the time. So by giving out a fun fact like that, then people understand, oh, these, this is what's going on in my body. And what I like to say, we actually embody that. We come inside, we work internally now and understand how this all goes together. Okay, so I have to tell you, I'm never gonna see a tennis court the same. <laughs> there, that's great then, if that's what it is. <laughs> then you'll take a breath when you see the tennis court. So for example- Wimbledon. <laughs> there, there you go. So even as speakers, when we get on stage, like even right now, I'm a little speedy, right? So I have to slow down and take the breath so that the audience can also breathe with me. Because in our audiences, people are nervous. They don't like the change. They're in this disruptive environment. Speakers have to start to slow down and breathe with them too. So I enjoy that one a lot. And then the third thing, I, third point I try to talk to people about is to actually take a step back. Observe what's going on. Look and see and feel. That's the other big thing. Look and see and feel. If the, fee if the situation in the room doesn't feel right, but we have no tangible evidence, you have to trust that and go with that. Understand what that is to you, what that means to you, what it means to your audience, and make any changes that you might have to. So for example, at this conference today, at Winter Conference, we're seeing people change stage to stage to stage. Three different stages going on. People up and down, moving, under tables, under chairs, looking for money, getting books. I think the feeling in that room is fabulous and it shows the change in the dynamics from just the speaker being on stage delivering to now getting things moving in the room in a completely different way. But that was by stepping back, feeling what's going on in the room and then saying is this working or is it not working. Now I had no idea in our conversation that we were going to be having an anatomical lesson <laughs> as speakers but that's interesting. So I've got a, a bit of an odd question. Um, from the speaker perspective, if you're in the audience and you're observing the speaker, what, what are the things that audiences see that would cause them either to gravitate toward a speaker or to be like, eh, they're okay? Is there something about what, how we look, how we carry ourselves that makes a difference to the audience? Absolutely. I do feel there's people out there that do image consulting, which is not, that's the clothing, that's the old external, right. and that is not my strength. The right. strength is we need to exude confidence internally, externally. We need to exude that confidence so that the audience can relax a little bit. And what I mean by relax is put trust and faith that this is going to be delivered authentically to me. Because what we're seeing and hearing and feeling constantly is this level of deception where we are now challenging ourselves, asking ourselves a question, is this really true? Is this not true? 
And we've lost that in, within the audience has to have that internal sensation that what's coming from the speaker is absolutely authentic. Now, within NSA, we talk about authenticity, but it has to come, it has to be on a cellular level that the speaker is delivering authentic, authenticity from a place of purity and understanding. At this point, now, you know, 15, 16 years, et cetera, as a member of NSA, what drew you to it to begin with, and what have you really learned from it now having been involved for a decade or so? So, I love that question. My first conference was influenced to, excuse me, was in New York City 2008, and Mark LeBlanc, and it was the rock and roll theme. Right. And I walked in and I said, these are my people. And I say that because uh, coming from the dance world as a professional dancer, I walked in and it was the dance floor and I thought these people are as fun and crazy as my dancer friends. It was just that level of energy and the hugging and the, and the real sense of family that really drew me to this organization, which we all sense and feel. But coming from the dance world and to feel that same it was, just, it was just perfect. Then you asked me what have I learned since then. And to me, I've built up a lot of relationships with people. But I think the biggest thing that we do, we have a lot of relationships within NSA. The biggest thing we have to learn is then how to ask. Be very specific, what do you need? And then how to ask for, who to ask. And so at this point I'm looking and say, wow, I have a lot of friends, I have a lot of resources available to me. I took a slight change in the direction of, of what I was speaking about. Just a 15 degree shift, who now has what I need and how can I be very specific about what I need to ask for. That's one of the biggest challenges I think. We don't know how to ask for what we need. If you look at the broad categories yes. of speaking, sales, leadership, motivation, but body alignment, movement, mm -hmm. health isn't exactly the normal category you'd find. So you've taken your passion right. and your ability and put it into something that's beneficial but now, you got to market it. Take it to sell, yeah. Right. So, so what are the processes that you think through to take it to sell? Great. Okay. So, what I believe is, first of all, we have to. We're talking a lot about change. How quickly can we change? And in this disruptive environment. So, for me, in order to be able to sell and market this, I have to say what's happening right now. People, as we say, are uncomfortable. They're living in a disruptive environment all the time. How can I adjust my work? Not adjust in a way that I sacrifice, but how can I? twist, shape my work to fit what the audience needs. What does the market need right now? So as we talk right now, we're in the middle of a Me Too environment, we're in the middle of a no trust environment, we're in the middle of a fake news environment. How can I take those, just those three and deliver that from my area of expertise and be very clear and authentic with an audience? And that's where the shift, if I stood over here and, and didn't address those issues that are currently going on, I'm not going to be able to sell. I'm not going to be relevant to the market. So to me, we have to be very nimble was a great word. We have to be flexible as speakers, not to sacrifice what you truly believe in. You have to stand rock solid on what you believe in. But but you have to be nimble and flexible enough to shift to be as relevant in that day. You, this could change, things are changing. The morning I go to speak, we could have had a world event or a, or a social media blitz on some campaign. I have to be able to build that in right away. And I think as speakers, sometimes we don't have that flexibility within ourselves to be able to adjust to bring it to market. Okay, I've got to tell you. Did that work? I, I love I love <laughs> listening to this. That's funny. Did that work? I love listening to this because you're using these nimble, flexible, <laughs> and it's like 
all of the great body words yes. that a dancer would naturally <laughs> use, you are really using, yeah. and it's so fun. Thank you, it thank you. It is so fun. It's easy to, I enjoy describing it through the body, so it's it then to find the vocabulary that goes with it, but it's so physical to me and what it feels like energetically that I, to, to describe it to you requires the right words to make it all happen. Well, and so for those listening on VOE <laughs> yes. that haven't continued the conversation on the NSA YouTube channel, you you will see if you continue the conversation, Rochelle moving, and, and it's like watching a dancer as I'm sitting here carrying yes. on a conversation. Yes. It is really quite fascinating. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a wonderful guest on VOE, and I, and I really encourage people who are listening to this to continue the conversation with Rochelle just to hear what you've had to say and watch the flow of the movement. It has been awesome. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you very Appreciate much. Appreciate it. Thank you. is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.